This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Elk Shape Podcast 29 with me, Dan the Fitness Man, bringing on a guy named Miguel Sandoval from Idaho, from Wilder, Idaho, just out of Boise, Idaho. Never met him in person, followed him on Instagram for a long time now. He keeps a low profile, he's blue collar, literally works seven days a week, has two jobs, four kids, and he's just a busy guy. Gets about a week to elk hunt every year. If you follow his Instagram account, you're going to see all the big bulls that they've been smashing for years in the backcountry. He's a do-it-yourself, over-the-counter, blue collar, exactly the type of brethren we want to bring on this podcast and drop knowledge bombs for you guys that are hungry for elk knowledge or just want to get excited about the elk hunting season coming up. You know, Miguel is somebody that is just... A little shy, a little nervous at first, but just stick with it because I can get him to finally drop some information and share his wisdom on elk hunting and talk about everything from their tactics to what they do, what program protocols. It's a fearsome threesome in the backcountry, hunting off mules in the Idaho backcountry on public land, over-the-counter units, and they're killing big bulls. He only shoots six-point bulls and has done that since 2000, I believe, 10. So he's put a lot of elk down on the ground, especially big ones. I think he's got a lot of great information, and I hope you enjoy it, man. As always, this podcast is brought to you by our sponsors, Discipline, Delayed gratification, hard work, no complaining, and being accountable to no one else but yourself. Thank you, sponsors. Enjoy this episode, and thanks for listening. Welcome to Elk Shape Podcast. This is episode number 29 with a guy that I don't even know. I hit him up on Instagram. I've been following for a while. Everything that I see that he puts out looks like it's blue collar, public land, over the counter, just hard worker. Miguel? Thanks for coming on, man. How you doing? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Use, what's your Instagram handle? Uh, it's Mig underscore Sandoval, 208. 208 for the Idaho. See, where do you live in Idaho, man? Uh, I live in Wilder. It's a little farming community outside of Boise, about 45 minutes. Okay. Yeah. I don't think I've ever been there, huh? I, I mean, I lived in Boise Meridian for a year. Okay. Yeah, we're not too far, maybe 30 minutes from there. 
Okay, I got you. Yeah, right on. we're west. Yeah. Yeah, you were definitely a little hesitant to come on. Uh, I, I had <laughs> yeah. to kind of convince you that I wasn't going to just interrogate you on your honey holes. And just tell us a little bit about you. I mean, I'm learning with everybody else. Tell us who you are and what you're all about. Uh, yeah, like I said, I grew up up here in Wilder. Um, just been hunting most of my life. Uh, I've got four kids. I mean, that's, you know, hunting is life for me. So that's pretty much all it. You know what I'm all about. I don't know. I was big time in sports growing up, <clears throat> which kind of helped. You know, in the mountains, I was always in pretty good shape. So, so you have four kids. What's their ages? Uh, they're they're getting a little older. My youngest is ten, and they range from ten to uh, fifteen, sixteen, and eighteen. Oh, you got the whole yeah. gamut. How old are you? <laughs> I'm thirty six. Yeah. Shoot, we are the same <laughs> age, and I got kids right? in diapers, man. What a oh really? What a yeah, trip. No. Yeah, I'm about done with that. Like I said, my youngest is 10, and yeah, I'm well on my way. Definitely. So, so your dad got you into hunting, I assume? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all I've been doing since I can remember. Um, uh, since I was in diapers, we've been up in the mountains, and yeah, he loved it. He loved it as much as I do, and yeah, just okay. kind of been part of our life for the most part. Was it, yeah. uh, can you remember your first elk hunt? Uh, they were always with my dad just growing up. Um, they were normally rifle hunts in October, um, but yeah, he, he always seemed to do pretty well. He'd shoot the first legal elk he could find. Okay, so you've been hunting since you were how old? I started hunting when I was 16, when I actually had a tag in my pocket. Okay. Yeah. So you got um, you got 20 years of elk hunting under your belt, and yeah. when did you kind of <clears throat> switch or over to the i mean i i don't know if you're exclusively archery but you do a lot with archery when did you kind of get the the bow in your hand yeah so we've mainly done rifle hunting for deer in october my brother caesar he actually started bow hunting um he was he was the first one to get us going he uh arrowed a bull his first year out and that kind of just got us going you know we it was pretty exciting it was early we had an extra month to hunt and my dad, he actually thought we were crazy for trying to go out and kill him with our bows. But every year after that, once I started hunting with him, I mean, we've been killing elk every year with our bows since then. That's awesome. But yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know if you ever listened to this podcast, but I've pretty much catered it to a couple of things. One, I don't just want to sit here and interview the same guys that are on all the podcasts. Uh, I want to find kind of like those diamond in the rough guys. I think you're one of them where... You know, you're just a hardworking hunter who's got a lot of success and a lot of experience, and maybe you could shed some light to help uh-huh. the people that maybe are stuck in that elk hunting learning curve where, you know, they haven't experienced consistent success or haven't even, you know, killed their first bull yet and kind of go right. take yourself back and kind of figure out, man, what are some of your best practices year-round to put yourself in a position to be so consistent in the Idaho mountains? Right. So um, I think uh, the number one thing is you got to be confident. You have to be confident in your equipment and in yourself. I've always been extremely confident. I've known that once I step foot out there, if an elk comes within range, I'm going to kill it. Um, and you've got to be in shape. That's that's pretty obvious. You can't you know go diving into canyons without being in shape. You, you've got to know how to call. That's pretty important. Um, and you'll call in a lot of younger animals, which is, you know, the first few years when I started hunting, I was killing any elk that would give me a shot. And that kind of helped me with my later years to where, you know, I knew where to aim. 
Um, you know, I've, I've lost a few animals when I was younger because I was impatient. So patience is key. Also making sure you take that, that perfect shot. And at times, if you don't have that shot, don't take it. Cause when I was younger, I would, I would just take any shot and it, you know, it didn't end up working out for me. So just being confident in yourself and, and being in shape is, is really big. So you um, talked about, t- you know, not rushing the shot, not taking just any <clears throat> shot. Are right. you comfortable with the frontal shot? I am. Um, I won't aim at the chest, though. There's, We've, uh, over the years, not just me, I haven't personally, but I've known of a few friends and family that have lost those elk with those chest shots. I'll hit them right in the throat, and they'll bleed out with that with that shot. But as far as that goes, that's about where I'm aiming. And that's a pretty up-and-up-close shot, I'm imagining. Yeah. Yeah, I've killed I've killed two six points with just right in the throat. They'll go they'll they'll go about four to five hundred yards, but they'll they'll leave a really good blood trail for you. You just yeah. give them a little bit more time to bleed out. Yeah, yeah. Normally, um, I like to give them an hour and a half to two hours after shooting them. Period. Unless I hear them crash. Um, I, I've got a few friends and like I said, family that are, get a little impatient, want to go right away. I've always got to be the one that's like no. You know, let's give them a little bit of time. But, yeah, when you hit them in that, with that shot, definitely give them a couple hours. Yeah, those are going to – Yeah, they're going to die. That's a long hour and a half, man. But the discipline will pay off if you can do that. And I'm same with you. If I hear them crash, I'm, I'm going. But yeah. usually I don't, um, especially where I hunt. It's, I, it's not like I can throw up glass and – I kill a lot of my elk in north North Idaho where it's just... Yeah, it's pretty thick up there. It's just gross up there, honestly. <laughs> it is not fun. But uh, And the reason I say that is I was just out yesterday getting a couple trail cameras out of a canyon. I hadn't hunted in three years, but I left the <clears> camera up there last year, two of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it took me uh, literally five hours to go, and I'm talking just hauling ass, just to get two cameras and then back out. It was 9.78 miles. I couldn't believe it. It's just... Oh wow! Yeah, and and I've killed a bull by that camera, and uh, I fought brush all day long, and I even know the elk trails. Like I know the elk trails. Yet there's just every year there's new blowdowns, and some brush right. grows over. <clears throat> I'm not hunting there this year, and I don't know. Um, I'll probably miss it, but right now I'm just like, thank God I get to go hunt some open areas. So. <laughs> When you're hunting in Idaho, are you in uh, topography terrain that's a little more open for glassing, or do you guys primarily call for elk? No, we primarily call. Um, yeah, most of the spots I hunt are fairly thick also. We've got a few spots where we can glass these big open hillsides, but it seems like the elk will hang out there in the mornings, and then they'll they'll feed or work their way into the brush or the thick stuff when they go to bed. But, yeah, it's it's normally pretty thick. Okay. What time of yeah. year do you like to to sneak out and get going on your elk season? Are you a guy that takes all of September? Are you working during <clears throat> September and doing weekend warrior? What's your game plan there? No, so with the job I have, I've had it for the last uh, five years. I work every single day, so seven days a week. I've actually, I only take one week off, and we'd like to take it around mm, the 7th or 8th through like the 15th. Yes, um, yeah, I feel if you're going to, if you want to kill a bull and you want to kill a, you know, a fairly good one, you've got to get them before the 15th. Um, I've killed most of my elk around the 10th or just a couple days before. Um, just because later in the season they tend to get cowed up and 
um, you're getting on elk that have a bunch of cows with them and they don't really care about little cow call you know in the trees and it seems like anytime we bugle at them they'll just pick up their cows and take off well i'm glad you said that um i was yeah. looking at my pictures uh this morning before i called you and it's on a wallow and if you were to go there right now like when i was there yesterday you'd be like there's no elk here i mean the trails don't have tracks in them the rubs mm. all look like they're <clears> from you know years back and the wallow's not really even a wallow right now it's just kind of a seep and I just was on camera saying, you got to see this wallow in September. It looks way different. And right. I pulled up the pictures, and it's probably four or five different herd bull category elk. And they're all in there between the fourth and the ninth without cows coming mm-hmm. into the wallow. You can tell they're raking, and there's no cows to be seen until about the 10th and then one of the bulls picks up the cows and it's over like there's your window and it's gone at least for that spot and that was all caught on that camera which is fascinating to me i think there's something to be said about bigger bulls before the 15th i think that's a huge takeaway for me is you know last year i hunted the opener and that was some of the best elk hunting and for north idaho it starts september 6th which sucks but do you ever hunt the opener where you're at, which is probably the 30th of August? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's the 30th. Oh, yeah, I'm up there. <laughs> as soon as opening day you know, kicks in, I'm up there hunting. Um, and I've actually had really good success with bugling bulls and you know, getting them in close. I've, I've killed a few on the opener, but not too many. But, yeah, definitely. So it's a good time to be out there. For the majority of the elk, have you killed predominantly bugling, bugling them into you? Yeah, yeah, I've only ever shot one that didn't bugle when he came in. He came in silent. Um, yeah, I just heard him some crashing through the, or some, you know, some, he was breaking some brush and limbs and whatnot through the trees, and that's what, that's how I heard him coming. But, yeah, they've always been bugling. Okay, so do you got somebody calling for you, or are you hunting solo? How do you do it? Uh, yeah, I've never been a solo hunter. It seems like I've always got somebody with me or somebody that wants to go. Um, and normally on our trip, there's Matt, Travis and I are hunting together. So we kind of set each other up. And, um, if there's, if, you know, right out the gate, there's three of us, so one caller and two shooters. And when we got a bull coming in, Oh, the flying V setup. Okay. And <laughs> do you guys just trade off each day or does each encounter you guys switch after that? How do you get, what's the etiquette on your guys's program? Yeah, we used to try and um, have, you know, like, okay, he's going first, I'll go second. But honestly, I I kind of started letting them just go first. I was like, you guys go ahead and, you know, I'll shoot last. I, it didn't really bother me because it seemed like the later into our hunt, we were getting into a lot bigger animals. Um, and I don't know if it's just because we were, you know, we were getting to the point where we were having to go chase the big herd bulls. And so I've always let them go first. But, you know... There's been times when I've had first shot just by, just you know, just by accident. But for the most part, I, I kind of let those guys take first shot. Yeah, definitely. So in the yeah. area that you guys go to, is it a place that you guys maybe find a little bit of new country each year and build upon knowledge, or do you got the same damn drainage you're going to? You know it like the back of your hand, and it's just a new set of bulls every year. What's that look like right. for you guys? Yeah, yeah. So the drainage we've been hunting, we've been packing in with mules for just a little over ten years. Um, it's a it's a pretty big canyon. There's about mm, four different spots that we hit 
and uh, where we get into them. We kind of know where they hang out, and this is just something you know we've learned over the years. Uh, they tend to hang out in the same areas, and we're getting on different bulls, new bulls every year. Um, there's always a really big herd bull in there, or two even. Mm-hmm. And I'm ta- and I, and for Idaho, this is pretty impressive. I'm talking anywhere from 350 to 400 inch. Oh, wow. so yeah. So and they're they're tough to get on though. I mean, even like September 3rd, they've been uh, already cowed up. I've seen them with up to 40 to 50 cows. Yeah, that, that early. That makes it rough, man. Oh yeah, you can't. I mean, you can't really do much with them. All right. Um, so when did you kind of start stepping up? your game and going for little upper echelon bulls, the little bit more mature bulls. I've seen your pictures on Instagram. You're shooting Mm -hmm. big bulls year after year. You're consistent. And I know it's over the counter stuff in Idaho. So, I mean, when did you kind of turn the page and kind of start passing on elk and, and what have you learned through that process? Yeah. So, uh, in 2008, um, these guys went in the year prior, but I started going with them in 2008 and, um, I started seeing the quality of elk that were in there. Um, we started doing that. I had never been a backcountry wilderness type hunter before that. I'd always done our normal family spots with morning and evening hunts, and we'd done well, but no, there was no quality there. So I started going in with these guys, and it was it definitely tested me. I'd never done anything like it, um, but I started seeing the quality of elk that were in there, and. You know, we just we just get into them. We'd call them in these big six point bulls. We'd shoot them. And in 2010, I shot my last five point. Um, it was it was the first day we were in there. Matt had stuck a nice 300 uh, about a 300 inch six point right in the chest. Same shot we were talking about earlier. We we uh, I ended up bumping him. We didn't end up finding him. A little five point came up um, right after I bumped him. Out of frustration, I shot a five point. Uh, and uh after that i told myself i'm not doing that again because matt had chances at three or four good elk that were anywhere from 320 to 360 and i and i was just sitting there calling for him the whole time and i was kicking myself in the butt for doing that but i gave myself i gave myself a six point rule which a lot of people have frowned upon but you know that was for myself i I don't ever frown on anybody you know you can kill whatever elk makes you happy i have no issues with that whatsoever I just kind of gave myself that rule in the back country. We work really hard to get back in there, and uh, I just want to make sure I make it worth it. So when you went to the back country, what are some of the hard lessons you learned right up front? I mean, as far as gear goes, maybe overcoming fear, homesick, uh, oh, man. I mean, all that yeah. kind of stuff. <clears throat> yeah, pretty much all of them. Um, boots were the biggest thing. I had some danners the first year I went in there, and, they were okay, but my feet were on fire. I mean, it's hot that time of year. Um, I think mean, boots were, as far as gear goes, we've always had pretty good backpacks. Um, uh, all the other gear we've had have always been pretty good. Yeah, being the mental toughness behind the whole being gone from home was was really tough for me the first couple years. You know, after four or five days out there, you kind of you kind of miss being home. You kind of miss being around the family whatever you take with you is all you're going to have the entire week we didn't take chargers with us so my phone would die after about three days and i couldn't communicate with anybody but yeah just the mental toughness of being away and and just being able to stick it out the the older i got the more years we spent out there the more i i appreciated the hunt i looked forward to it more and i enjoyed every day i was out there compared to early on 
um, I was basically just wanting to go home after a few days. Yeah, it's funny, but, man. It's a, it's an evolution. It's a process. Yeah. It's maturation at its finest. So, you know, how did you choose? I know I'm asking you a lot of questions, man. But no, you're fine. Really, I, I want to pick your brain on how you guys work as a team. So how did you make your team? Because who you hunt with is is everything. If you know... If you have somebody who's weak or if you have somebody who's not as experienced or doesn't pull their weight when it comes to chores or the sleeper in person who I can't stand or, you know, the <laughs> yeah. dilly dallier, which is my dad. He's always like, I'm just w- like waiting for him. And like, right. how did you get your team set up and what's the expectations you guys have on each other? Um, so we just started hunting together. Um, the first year I hunted with with matt and travis we didn't really know each other all that well uh, we all kind of had the same passion so we we kind of stuck it out we we noticed that we all we all gelled well together and um after a few years we just became i mean it became normal we all have a job it seems like we go out there we, we always do the same things i always lead typically on, on when we're leading the mules in um getting camp set up i mean it's a lot of work we don't you know we we get to camp we got to get everything unloaded get camp set up um then when we're on the mountain we kill an animal we have we have a process we we follow also i do most of the quartering travis usually holds um and matt does all the deboning and we try we we split the weight up evenly three ways and we we kind of and normally i'm leading on the way out also but yeah, we we just rely on each other, man. We've we've worked really really well together. We already kind of know how we all work and what we do. So you know, we're we're I'm really confident in those guys. I've got some really really tough partners that I wouldn't trade for anybody. That's yeah. pretty cool. So whose mules yeah. are these? So we've we've always rented them from a buddy of mine. Okay. Um, yeah, and there's been a few years when I've had people offer me to to take mules that you know that we're they're just like yeah you can just take them save us some money you know because we pay you know it's an expensive trip it ends up costing us well, right a thousand a piece by the time we get everything but uh yeah we've tried taking a few mules that were free and oh my goodness it turned into a nightmare so don't take free yeah. mules get the ones you can no. <laughs> well take some that are like you know are trained yeah my buddy he was a guide in the frank church wilderness and his buddy or his mules are trained so yeah you definitely don't want to take some that aren't that haven't done it we've learned the hard way trust me are they pretty our, our, go ahead i was gonna say our base camp's eight miles in and normally if everything goes good I mean, I get a little nervous. We're not cowboys by any means. We've just all we, the only time I ever handle these critters are the one time a year. We've learned over the years how to handle them and, you know, how to get them all set up. We weigh everything to make sure everything's evenly distributed on the panniards. And if everything goes well, we can usually make it to camp in about six hours. The times we borrowed meals, it was about 12 to to 14. Yeah. No way, no. And we had some bad episodes. <laughs> so you guys set up um, a base camp then? And we do. Out of that base camp? Yeah. And in previous years, we uh, we would hunt. We would come back to camp every day. And we're camped at 3,300 feet. The elk are about 6,572. So we would climb that every day and drop that every day. Oh. Yeah. And we did this for the first 10 years. I, I told these guys, hey, we need to start sleeping up on the mountain. 
you know, that way, first thing in the morning, we're right on them. It seemed like we were getting on the elk late. We'd get there about nine, and they're on their way to their bedding. So we're just chasing them up the mountain the whole time. But uh, we started sleeping up on the mountain. We've done that the last two years, and and it's worked really well for us. Yeah. Do you guys feel like you're ever too close to the elk, or do you feel like you've got the right spot? No, we we always try and stay somewhat, you know, a few hundred yards away. Yeah, we if we're in a in an area where the elk are hanging out, we'll drop down into a canyon by a creek somewhere and sleep there. Okay, and then yeah. is it the same base camp year in and year out from now yeah, on? Same. Yeah, it's been the same base camp this whole time. Other on that hunt, hunt anyway. Other hunters? Yeah. Nope, never seen a soul in there. Holy smokes! How about wolves? Nope, never seen one either. Knock on wood. Okay. Yeah. Uh, can I go with you guys? This sounds great. <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh, that's awesome, man. Yeah, I see hunters every year. Uh, I see wolves every year. And I mean, not hear them. I'm talking see them. And, um, yeah. and it's, you know, just I think I hunt a pretty pressured area. And there's still good bulls in there. But um, yeah. it's definitely what you're doing is more of the actual experience that I want other people to have. And mm-hmm. it sounds like you got to be willing to do the work. And if you don't have mules, then you're packing in enough gear on your back. And you're not going to last right. as long as the guy on mules because you guys can haul in more gear. But uh, right. if there's a will, there's a way. And I think yeah. backpack hunting is where it's at when it comes to that learning curve. How did you learn how to call? Was there a mentor? Was it just a school of hard knocks? Like, Take us through that progression. Uh, I'd probably have to say primos in their videos. <laughs> That's kind of where I, I learned how to call. My brother showed me a little bit. Um, but, yeah, that's – I mean, we'd, we'd buy their calls or videos every year, and we just kind of picked them up and kind of went from there. That's pretty – pick, Yeah, I picked up uh, – I started doing mouth reads only about three years ago. No kidding. Um, yeah, and I've, I've gotten pretty good at it. Um, but, yeah, they definitely sound more authentic than the old uh, primos Terminator for sure yeah i can pick those out in the mountains from what you oh, know, yeah. like i said i yeah. hear a lot of other hunters but you know it still works for sure i mean the elk usually don't for the most part can tell the difference between a hunter and a and a terminator i mean seriously like when they're fired up they're fired up yeah, you know guys matter. used to whistle at them and get them to come right. in but right. i think the elk are probably more call shy but where you're at it's probably more remote they have less interaction with mm-hmm. humans and that's got to play to your guys' advantage. I mean, what about weather and getting uh, taking care of your meat when you're on an extended hunt? You're eight miles back. You have pack mules, but let's say somebody gets one down, but you guys want to keep the hunt going. What's your protocol to keep that meat good? Okay, yeah. Um, so we debone everything right on the mountain. Um, I mean, we obviously try and get them taken care of as fast as possible. Um, and what we do is we'll, we have a Creek by our camp and it's really cold down there. Um, we started putting logs. We'll cut, you know, a good six, eight inch round, uh, logs and we'll lay about four of those across the Creek and we'll lay the meat right on top of that. We do flip them every day. We try to, for the most part, and we, we normally can. Um, that was just an old trick. My outfitter buddy told me to do, and it's worked really well for us. We've had meat in there up to seven days with no issues. Um, and as far as game bags go, you got to go synthetic. Uh, if you go cotton, those flies will get, will get through them. And we've, we've actually had that issue in the past. So what but, game yeah, bags yeah. are you guys using? Uh, so we've used, uh, caribou tag bags and then, uh, Tristan's been, uh, hooking us up with some, some of his, uh, 
through 6 a.m. outdoors, his game bags. Yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with, with Tristan Talvey from 6 a.m. Uh-uh. Yeah, he's got a lot of really good products on his website, and he's hooked us up with uh, some game bags. My Our butcher actually told us whatever game bags those were, those are the best he's seen. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So they've worked for us really well. So that takes care of meat care. Now, if you guys are in a wilderness area, does anybody go in early and clear trail, or is that part of the process? <laughs> no, so they, these guys do. They'll go in about two weeks before. And uh, I've never been in on that trip because of work. Um, but, yeah, they're normally not too happy with me. But, yeah, they'll go in and clear trail. Some of the trails we go on, I mean, if a huge boulder falls on it or if it, you know, if it sloughs off, we're we're in trouble we're not going to make it in there so i mean there's some really nasty cliffy rocky areas um and then yeah just trying to get the mules through some of that brush is almost impossible if it's not cleared out right and these and these guys have done a really good job of doing that and they're planning on on doing that here probably around august 15th or so okay yeah that makes sense so what do you do for work that has you working seven days a week Uh, i work for an irrigation company district so you know i take care of a lot of water in a pretty large area and i've got to watch it every day yes yeah so how do you get time off to hunt you just you just have one week of vacation and that's Mm -hmm. your hunt yeah they give me they give me one week off they're really good about it september september is kind of a slow time of year so they don't have an issue with that and then i also work at sportsman's warehouse part-time the archery department oh so you know how to work on a bow yeah yeah i try my best i'm learning (laughs) i've always kind of done my own thing i've always fletched my arrows i've fletched you know most of my family's and friends arrows for them stuff like that but yeah i've learned a lot just working there for sure so in the backcountry what is uh some of the stuff you do or you choose for your bows to bulletproof them from murphy's law you know how it is um, a backcountry a string comes off the cam you're done you know you can't really unless you got a press in the eight miles back there you, you got to go get your strings put on or, or you know right. a broadhead cuts the string or you got rest problems mechanical pro- like what what have you seen mm-hmm. in your guys's backcountry experience and, and what are the fixes to prevent those from happening so thankfully we've only ever had one issue um yeah, we were actually calling a, a bull in. He sounded really big, too, uh, for Travis. We got into the timber. There's a creek that was running down. We didn't realize it was there. And whenever you get into that you know, situation, the wind's always blowing down. But we set up anyway, and um, I saw Travis waving us over, and the bull ended up winding us, and he took off. And, yeah, his, his string had come off the cam. Um, well, it took us a couple hours, honestly, to get it back on there. But other than that, we've, we haven't had any issues. Um, cool. Do you guys shoot in yeah. camp? Do you bring a target? We don't. No, we've actually talked about it, and we, we don't do that. We're kind of limited to how much we can take in there. Yeah. So, and, and we, we still set up a really comfortable camp, but we got to, you know, you know, taking a target or taking something else, we'll kind of just, yeah, we'd, we'd prefer to take something else. But we haven't had any issue, issues other than that, thankfully. Yeah. I have to yeah. shoot my bow where I hunt in North Idaho almost every day. Usually the bow is on my backpack while I'm mm-hmm. riding a dirt bike up a single track slash horse trail in the dark. And you could crash. There's always brush hitting your bow. And I can't tell you how many times I've come back to camp 
and glad I didn't get a shot because my bow was off, whether it be the sight oh, really? or something. And wow. so I got to shoot. And um, I've had that happen to me even in the backcountry hunts where I wish I'd brought some sort of target to just check check your dope. But it is it is hard. Uh, what bow do you shoot? And kind of what take us through your setup as far as archery goes. Um, so I've always shot a Hoyt. Um, and then uh, last year I was in Eastman's Magazine. They, um, they sent me a bow. Um, it's Expedition Archery. Okay. I don't know if a lot of guys aren't familiar with them, but you know a lot of people are also. And it's actually been a really, really good bow for me. Um, I was pretty excited when I got it because you know I shot the same bow since 2009. I was so comfortable with it. I did not want to switch it up, but I was getting to the point where I needed a new, a new setup. But yeah, it was kind of a blessing really to get have them send me a new bow. That's cool. What do you run for yeah. arrows for elk? So I've I've shot the same arrow and broaded setup since 2000, either seven or eight. I can't quite remember, but I, I shoot full metal jackets with Montex 125s, and they've always worked for me. I've I mean I've plowed through some animals, just destroyed them. Yeah. Well, a lot of people don't care for them. They're not super sharp, or they you know they won't bleed a ton. But most of my animals have only gone 100 yards or less. Well, it's molded. So, and there's no moving parts. You can sharpen right. it. Uh, I don't see the problem. Yeah, I think that's a great choice. I know a lot of elk hunters choose those. I think that's and badass. They, they tune well. I mean, I, that's the most important thing for me is they, they all shoot about the same, and they're, they're shooting right where I aim. So, Do you think Idaho's ever going to let us use lighted knocks? Uh, I hope so. I mean, I don't see what the issue would be with that. I could understand mechanical broadheads, but lighted knocks, I don't, I don't see a problem with that. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I have I don't care less about mechanicals. I'm yeah. I'm a fixed guy through and through. But man, I I got lighted knocks from hunting in Washington and other states, and I just I love watching the arrow. It's just you right. can really see where your arrow's going, and it can tell you, you know, what you need to do for the next step as far as recovering that animal and and you finding your arrow even, and that tells a lot of the story as well. But yeah, yeah, I think yeah, I think when you got an elk in close and you you let an arrow go, you're so amped up. A lot of times you lose vision of where your arrow goes, and that would uh, that might help. Yeah, man. So you're quite the blue collar guy. I mean, you're you you work your ass off. You only get a week. You make it happen every year. You've killed mm-hmm. some really big bulls <clears throat> in Idaho, which isn't known for a super like trophy state. We don't. I mean. You're hunting an over-counter unit anyone could go to. That's pretty pretty incredible. Right. Have you ever drawn any tags out of state or any trophy tags in? And when I say trophy tags, I just mean limited entry in Idaho. Uh, no, I've never drawn a trophy tag in Idaho. Um, I've had a few tags in Oregon, but, yeah, nothing. Those were rifle hunts. But as far as Idaho goes, they've all been archery. I've had one rifle tag I drew here and but it wasn't it wasn't a you know a very great hunt by any means um so have you got your kids involved in hunting yet yeah absolutely my uh my younger boy miguel he's he's really he loves it um he's you know i've been mainly having him deer hunt he goes with me on my archery hunts and yeah he loves he loves hearing those bulls bugle i try and get him out there as much as i can absolutely yeah uh, my oldest daughter I, I started taking her when she was 12 she hunted with me for a few years and yeah she liked it and she she had a good time but she i don't know she's she kind of grew out of it and didn't really care to go anymore so yeah miguel and i are kind of we're almost the same person so <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, That's, we really relate. We relate a lot. <laughs> what was it about your dad taking you hunting that made it click for you? That you were like, you grew. It just continued to be a passion. Yeah, so I grew up in a in a really big family. There's nine of us, and uh, I have six older brothers, and every one of them hunts. My dad's always had us out there, and I was the youngest boy, so they, you know, I got kind of picked on a lot, but they. Uh, it was kind of a competition growing up between us, really. You know, not me so much because I was a lot younger, but as soon as I started getting a little older and started doing really well, you know, my biggest thing, and I, I wanted to prove to all of them and my dad that I was the best hunter in the family. Ooh, competition brings yeah. out the best in everybody. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was always a friendly competition. And, uh, yeah, I uh, I think I got to that point. I think I've killed more bulls than all of them combined. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude, you're so, a machine, man. You are a machine. Yeah. So, the, you know, with this podcast, it's like, what can I give the listeners for takeaways? I'm thinking a lot of people maybe live out east or Midwest or whatever and travel a long ways to Idaho. They have a finite number of days to get it done. Can you just give us off, the, you know, off the cuff, just here is your playbook. Run this play or run this play and you'll get into elk, or you'll give yourself the best chance. What's that look like? Uh, yeah, definitely uh, try and focus on drainages that have water. Just uh, cover a lot of ground. I, I cover tons of miles trying to locate during the during September. I mean, if they're if they're not responding, I'm I just I just keep moving. And another thing is don't give up. I mean, there's days when they're talking, days when they're not. But yeah, I just try and look for a lot of elk sign and. Yeah, just get out there. I mean, you got to really, really the the way we've learned even here, just being residents, is by covering a lot of ground and learning where the elk hang out. They have their areas they cover. They have the areas they hang out. They, you know, they from feeding to bedding, and just learning basically, and keep coming back. Don't give up after one year. Um, it's sometimes it's taken me two, three, four years to just learn where the elk are hanging out and what they're doing. So when you're saying yeah. that you cover ground. <clears throat> What uh, what does that look like? Are you on ridges and just beautifully mm-hmm. down into every finger and yeah, working that yeah, ridge? Try, yeah, try and get on ridges as high as possible. Um, sometimes I'll bugle from the bottom up, but they can definitely hear you when you get up a lot higher. Um, if there's there's a couple spots I hit, I got canyons on both sides. I'll I'll work right up the middle ridge and I'll just kind of work each side and I'll just keep climbing, you know, as, as high as I can until I can locate them. Yeah, um, I mean, getting out there in the, the right hours, obviously. You want to be out there right at dark. Um, the evenings are good. They tend to be a little tougher. But, yeah, yeah, just getting up high. What uh, What do you guys pack in for food? Um, so I'm not big, like, on Mountain House meals or any of that. So, like, on our packing trip, I'll, we'll take sandwich stuff. I'll make sandwiches every day. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I started taking in carne asada. I don't know. How many people like that stuff? But who doesn't like that? <laughs> we have I have a really good spot here in town, and I've gotten so many buddies hooked on it. And uh, yeah, I'll pack in like ten pounds of that stuff, and uh, and some of my mom's salsa and tortillas. Man, we'll just make tacos when we get back to camp. It's so good, man, and it's quick. Again, yeah, can I go with you guys. Holy smoke! So <laughs> oh, Mountain House, yeah, it gets it gets old quick. And I interviewed. Yeah. Heather Kelly from Heather's Choice, and I got some mm-hmm. of that stuff to try. There's a lot healthier options, way less sodium, and way more <laughs> better ingredients, if you will. And then I'm going to interview a guy named Spencer from Off Grid next week, 
and I'm going to try some of his stuff. I'm just, I'm just trying to find some better options. That's why I ask. And when you yeah. said, I got to go back to when you said you look for sign and try to read sign. I don't know if everyone knows exactly what that means. So what is great elk sign to you that gets you pumped up that you know you're in a good area? Uh, well, obviously a lot of, you know, when they start rubbing their antlers, um, you know, you're in that area looking for, you know, elk crap, I guess. Um, but yeah, a lot of it's just what they, they trash the, the area tracks, um, the trails, how hard they're hitting them, wallows. Um, when, a, when a wallow's heavily used, it'll just be muddy. If it's just clear, they're not, they're not hitting it very often. But yeah, a lot of tracks. Do you guys have some go-to wallows that you'll sit during the day? No, not necessarily. We have a drainage that's just loaded with them, and we'll we'll go hit that in the evenings. And the elk are seem to always be around. But no, we've I've never we never set wallows. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's kind of I have a tree stand on two wallows, and can't even remember if I've ever I sat. I yeah, I don't think I've ever set them. It's just a. Uh, I don't know. I'm not that patient. I mean, that's why I'm elk hunting. If I sit yeah, tree exactly. stands for deer in the f- November for whitetails, and that's plenty. But yeah, I, I hear what you're saying there. So we're covering canyons. You're calling. You're finding elk that want to play ball. You have mm-hmm. a calling system. You have the flying V. You're looking for good sign. You're in remote country. You're in the wilderness. You have pack mules. These are definitely some clues that have led to your success. Uh, in the mm-hmm. beginning, though, you mentioned fitness and. This is elk shape. So what do you do to be in shape or to stay in shape for elk hunting? So um, I, my house, I got a two-mile driveway. A mile of it is about a 500-foot uh, incline. So I'll train on that mainly. I'm not into much else. I've always kind of just done my own thing. I'll load up my pack. Um, right, you know, early season, I'll, I'll kind of start light and then – towards the end there when it's getting closer to season i'll i'll load it up a lot heavier and i'll and i'll try to try to run some sections but yeah I, honestly it doesn't take me long to get in shape i've just been doing it most of my life um and i you know you know a month or two of doing that i'm in i'm in pretty good shape well that's cool and yeah when you when you're getting backpack training or whatever or rucking mm-hmm. what what kind of weight do you think's optimal to mimic what you're doing in September. Yeah, so you should always train how you're gonna hunt. Um, so obviously with the backpack with weight, uh, I I start off with about 40 pounds at the beginning, and I try to end with about 65, 70. I try not to push it too much. I don't want to, you know, get an injury right before season. But yeah, I try to stick to around that weight range. Yeah, I'm super paranoid about injuries, and I train oh, yeah. a ton. Obviously, I own a gym, so I'm in there all the time. Right. I get really um, nervous on certain things this time of year, and mm. I don't have other hobbies, dude. It's elk hunting, and right. that's it. <laughs> so I don't want to try anything new. Oh, you want me to like like we're going to the lake tomorrow, and my <laughs> wife's grandparents have a boat, and they'll ask me like they do every summer. Hey, do you want to go? Do you want to do slalom? And I used to slalom ski, and I'd be like, Yeah, no, I don't. Nope. It's just. The risk versus reward, um, right. and maybe that's lame to some people, but they just don't have any idea. Like my level of passion for elk hunting is, it's a disease, really. So, um, oh yeah, I want to finish up, man, and I want to talk a little bit more about your relationship with your dad. He's no longer here, but he obviously right. got you 
he did it right. He look at, I mean, look at where you're at. You owe it to your right. dad, and I'm a dad, and I want to be a great dad. Tell us a little bit about your dad. Let's reminisce a little bit and the kind of guy he was and the things that he did that helped shape and mold who you are. Yeah, so, um, I mean, he, he had a big family, um, and he loved his kids. He and he and he always had us up in the mountains. He had a sense for adventure. Like I, I mean, he would go to places we wouldn't even think of. Like wow, like well, you know, well, why would you even go there, Dad? He just loved being in the outdoors, being in the mountains. Uh, he was a solo hunter. He didn't like anybody around him. Um, and he was he just always he was always successful. I don't know. He just had that that luck, or he just had that skill. A lot of times his friends would pick him up and they're just like, all right, he's going hunting with us because they knew if they took my dad with them, you know, they were going to they were gonna do well. Um, but, yeah, he was a family man. Yeah, I lost him in uh, 2016, about five months before I shot my biggest bull. And and after he, he passed, I, I decided I was going to push myself harder than ever. So I didn't want to I didn't want to let him down. He was always proud of me. Don't get me wrong. Every time I'd bring him an elk rack, he was just—he was really impressed by it. But uh, yeah, I just—I trained really hard that year, and I pushed really hard. And I—I I knew deep down I was going to kill my biggest bull that year. And I—I told a few people like it's happening. Yeah. And then—and then when it all—and when it all happened, and it was—and it was you know in the moment when it was happening, I was like, all right, you know, this is it. Cause, you know, I've already known this was going to happen. But yeah, he was just a—he was just a good man. I just—I miss him a lot. Uh, it's really hard to talk about him for the most part, but yeah, he just had a passion for hunting, man. He'd tell me some of his stories. I, I, I swear I heard the same story a hundred times and I could hear the excitement in his voice <laughs> as, as every single time as he was talking about these animals. Yeah. The first time he went, he, one of the first few times he went up elk hunting, he got into a Canyon that we grew up hunting in eventually um and he had a few bulls bugling and I, I think back then the hunt started in september a little earlier than the deer hunt and he didn't know what they were he thought they were coyotes he'd only ever seen elk in pictures whatever was in the in the regs and uh as he started getting closer he yeah he saw it was two two five-point bulls getting ready to fight and he ends up shooting one but yeah just that that story right there just kind of i don't know just kind of remember that one. Yeah. So but, you're a father. You have mm-hmm. Junior who loves going with you. And he's only going to get older and stronger and faster. I don't know if you think about this, but I do. But how long are you going until your son passes you up? Like for me, I'm going to make my <laughs> son Tristan. He's going to have to bust his ass to pass his old man up. Um, but uh, one of his first words was bull. And that's probably just speaks to like – just where his environment but how about you and your son man when when is he gonna pass you up uh hopefully uh here in the next few years i mean i'd like him to be a really you know really good hunter um it's been it's been a little bit of a challenge man just trying to get them you know he he likes it he enjoys it but just trying to get them to to love hunting as much as we do um i just i think with so many distractions these days and cell phones it's a little it's it's a little difficult but uh i really hope you know i'm gonna keep taking him with me and i really really hope he sticks with it and he has that passion for it you know yeah no yeah i mean it's it's tough yeah the cell phone the technology the ipads all that the internet Mm -hmm. i mean all that stuff's scary and um i don't think hunting's necessarily growing so it's definitely showing up on my radar more and more that 
going to have to explain to more people what it is I'm doing and why I'm doing it and try to get them interested because, uh, I don't know. It seems like if we don't, who will? Right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. We got to keep it going, man. Got to keep that youth involved. It's pretty important. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Well, man, I appreciate coming on. I don't want to keep this too long. I know that, uh, you're a busy guy and you probably have to go back to work, but is there anything else you want people to know about yourself and your style of hunting before we bounce? Uh, I mean, I think we covered most of it. Just when you're out there, just be confident in yourself. And, and, uh, if you, I mean, if people really want it, the, the, you know, they really want to kill an elk with their bow or, or, you know, a lot of guys back East really want to do this. They just need to come out here and do it and they can't give up. I mean, I had, I had a lot of goals when I was younger and, and I've achieved a lot of those goals because I didn't give up and I had, I had a passion for it and I, I just knew what I wanted to do. So, I mean, that'd be, that'd be pretty much it. Definitely. Well, man, yeah. good luck. I hope I get to meet you and, um, whenever you guys are ready for me to join your crew, just let me know. I'll be down and, right on. and then, um, <laughs> yeah. I'll swap you. You come up here and come fight some brush for seven days and, and kill yourself a brush bowl. So there you go. <laughs> definitely. Well, good luck this year, man. I know you're going to crush it. Uh, tag me, uh, elk shape and anything that you're doing so I can promote it. And I'll get a link to your Instagram. I think people need to follow you and, and go along your hard working journey. And I just appreciate your attitude and your positivity and keep it going, bro. Right on, man. Appreciate it. Thanks All for right. having me. You bet. Have a good rest of the weekend. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye.